But now we appreciate Shannon very, very much. Like Clay said, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we just want to extend a, a warm welcome to you. We appreciate you being here. And uh, I also want to thank everyone that uh, participated in the 24-hour uh, corporate prayer time. Uh, I know that it's a... Uh, you know, it's a big deal, and, and, you know, those early morning hours are pretty challenging to, uh, to make sure that you're here to get to be a part of that. But uh, if you're a part of that, uh, we appreciate that very, very much. And like uh, Clay said, tonight is our Daring Faith Sunday, and Mark Harrell will be here with us. And uh, he is one of our church overseers. And it's important that you come. You know, number one, because we believe we're not putting on these events and we're not having a Sunday night service for the sake of just having another, you know, church service or, you know, a religious ritual. I mean, we're pressing into what we believe that God has in store for us as a corporate body. And we are bringing in people that are speaking, that are powerful men of God that, you know, when they spy, we've not had a bad one yet. You know, we may have some bad attendance on some of those things, but we've not had a bad event up to this point. And uh, Mark Harrell, he is a wonderful, wonderful man, uh, very, very loving and kind. He's a, he's a, he's a spiritual father. He's, he's, you know, he's, a, he's one of the most caring and compassionate people I've ever met, and I'm so thankful to have him a part of my life, and we're blessed to have him a part of our church. And the Bible says that you are to know those that labor among you. You know, we, we bring these guys in intentionally. We try to bring them in at least once a year, you know, if their schedule allows them to, for the purpose of, of letting you get to know who they are. You know, it's important that you know who these folks are. And the reason it's important is, number one, because the Bible says you should know them that labor among you. And number two, if I was to get out of hand or something, and you can't do anything with me, you know, if I, you know, just act all goofy or whatever, you know, if you know him, you can say, look, look Donald is acting really, really Goofy. I think he went a little loco out there, and you know he needs some help. I mean, it's it's part of our, our church government, and, and and church government doesn't work unless you have relationship with people who are in positions of authority. I mean, it's good. It's accountability. You know, it, it's it's a mutual contribution. So if 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 you are able to be here tonight, make sure that you come out and do it. I mean, it'll be a blessing to you. And and again, it's it's something that's important. So. Uh, if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter number 32. Clay, if you don't care, hand me that water right there because I get thirsty and I get sweaty and I forgot it. We've been doing a series of messages on soul prints and I hope that it has been something that's been a blessing to your life and, you know, but I was just praying, you know, this morning about uh, today's service. You know, what I want more than anything, and this is, this is the truth, what I want more than anything is not for you to just get what's being shared on an intellectual level. I, I don't want you to understand what I'm sharing with you theologically only. I don't want you to know what the Bible says just because it's important to know what the Bible says, I want you to experience the, the transforming truth of what the Word of God says about you, who you are, and what He's called you to do. You know, Christianity is not a bunch of rules and regulations. Christianity is not uh, a bunch of do's and do nots. Christianity is not uh, a bunch of behavior modifications. Christianity is an ongoing relationship with a person. 
You know, a, a person who loves you, who died for you, who places value on you, who created you, formed you in your mother's womb. We've been talking about this in, in this series. You know, we, we begin talking about how that uh, each one of us is unique, that God created us, that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. And we talked about the uniqueness of the soul, how that, how that each one of us has a unique voice print and a unique eye print and a unique fingerprint and a unique soul print. You know, nobody has the same DNA as you. Nobody has the same uh, uh, fingerprint as you do. You know, nobody has eyes like you and nobody has a voice like you. God created you uniquely, and listen, what makes you unique is also what makes you powerful. The problem is when we've not embraced our uniqueness and in our identity and who God created us to be, the problem occurs when we start to try to become somebody that we're not. And our lives are full of insecurities, and, and we feel inferior. We try to compare ourselves to other people. We, we, we find our value based upon what we do versus who we are. And, and listen, the majority of the people in the church, that, that's the way they live their life. They, I live my life, over half of my Christian life, from that place. And so, you know, I understand what it's like to strive, and I understand what it's like to perform, and I understand what it's like trying to... Uh, uh, feel like I'm somebody and, and then allow circumstances or other people or, or, or results or things that work out or don't work out in my life to determine uh, the value of who I am as a person. That's a miserable existence. And I can honestly say that pastors are the worst when it comes to talking about matters like this. So we talked about the uniqueness of the soul. You know, then we talked about being God's image bearer and, and what that meant. And how that nothing is more damaging to the human soul than having a distorted view of God. You know, if, if, if the way that you view God determines how you represent God. If you see God as a judge only, then you'll ultimately become his prosecuting attorney. And, and you'll see everybody as somebody that God is wanting to bring judgment upon so that, you know, that's the only thing that we're securing is that God is going to punish people. And it's almost like, and you hear preachers preach like this all the time. Listen, I have no problem preaching about hell. It's in the Bible. Jesus preached about it three times more than he did about heaven. But you know what? If you're going to preach about hell, if you're going to condemn people and tell them they're going to go to hell, give them some hope. Throw them a rope. Or something, you know, help pull them out. I've been a part of church service and around Christians that, 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 that I thought after I left them that they really want me to go there, you know. And, and so I'm thinking, wow. You know, when I first got saved, you know, people told me how much Jesus loved me. He didn't care that you was a drug addict or an alcoholic, you know. He doesn't care about your past. He loves you. We sung about it a while ago. He'll meet you right where you're at. Well, then after I got saved, and they went from telling me that Jesus loved me to he's out to get me. Well, I'm thinking, well, which one is it? Does he love me or is he out to get me? And so, you know, that kind of messes with you a little bit. And, and so, you know, when, when we don't see God clearly, it, it affects. And so we talked about the, 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 the impact of having a poor self-image has on our relationship with God, uh, the way that we view ourselves, and the way that we view other people. So that, that's important. Last week, we talked about overcoming limitations. And we talked about how that David had to overcome the limitations his father tried to put upon him, his family, his brothers, his, his leader, and even Goliath. They did not see him as anybody special, but God did. You know, David's, David's father, Jesse, saw him as his 
his baby boy, right? You know, David's brothers saw him as their little brother. Uh, he, uh, King Saul saw him as, as, as somebody that, that, that didn't have what it took to, to be a champion, that he was just a child. But when God looked at him, God saw a king. God saw something in David. He saw his potential. And then we saw how that when David faced Goliath and he defeated the giant, how that when he overcame his own limitations that people were placing upon his life, he was able to inspire his entire nation to overcome their limitations as well. You see, when you overcome the limitations that, that you've allowed people to put on your life or even the limitations that you have put on yourself, thinking that you uh, are not good enough or you feel like that you don't have anything that's, that's, that, that's worth anything or valuable, you don't have anything to offer God, when you overcome those limitations, you inspire other people to overcome them as well because your life carries a lot of influence. And so today we're going to talk about, and, and I just want to just share my heart with you, today we're going to talk about how God transforms the soul. How, you know, because listen, every one of us want to change in some area of our life, right? You know, we, we've listened to these messages and we've allowed God to, to speak to us and, and, and we've thought to ourselves, you know, I, I, I will give anything for that to happen. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're looking for a, a, a moment where just God just waves his hand over you, or there's a lightning bolt that comes down, or there's, a, there's an earthquake that happens. You're looking for one of those uh, spectacular moments, and, and, and all of a sudden, when that moment is gone, or you leave church, or, or, or whatever it may be, you, you leave disappointed because you don't necessarily feel like God has done something significant in your life. Here's what you need to understand, and I'm going to read. What you have to understand is you, your life did not get in the condition that it is in right now overnight, okay? You know, it, it took years of making mistakes, years of believing the wrong thing, years of making bad choices, years of, of just simply falling flat on your face. It took years to kind of get into the mindset that you're in right now, and, and you didn't get in it overnight, and you're not going to get out of it overnight, okay? The problem that we have with change is the way that we expect change to happen and when we expect change to happen. Oftentimes, it's been my, it's been my experience that since you didn't get in the shape overnight, God has to begin to remove layer after layer after layer in our lives till we come to the point to where deep, permanent change can happen. And we're going to talk about how that Jacob went through four stages of transformation that brought him to a place where his life was, was changed forever, okay? Genesis chapter number 32. We're going to begin reading in verse number 22. And if you're there, say amen. Verse 22, it says, And then he, Jacob, arose that night and took his two wives. How many knows he's already in trouble? He is in bad trouble already. He took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed over the four Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent them what he had. Now look at verse 24. Look where he found himself. Then Jacob was left alone. 
And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, in other words, when Jacob recognized that he is not going to win this battle, here's what he did. When he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint, and he wrestled with him. So now, now look, look at the events surrounding this. Number one, Jacob is in a very lonely place, right? He is left alone. He's not only lonely, he is in the greatest struggle of his life, Okay? He's struggling. The Bible says he, he wrestled with a man. And not only is he struggling, the Bible says that, that he has a dislocated hip, so we know, therefore, he's also in severe pain. So this is the condition that his life is in. And, and by the way, it's important to, to preface before this, because God is about to do something incredible in his life. It took Jacob 20 years, over 20 years, just to get into the place to where God could bring change in his life. So, you know, 20 years of just this broken relationships, 20 years of deceiving people, 20 years of pretending, 20 years of just lying, 20 years of manipulating. So things have just piled up, and all of a sudden, when it comes payday, when things are, are about to kind of come to a head, he's lonely. He's not just lonely. He is in a long season of loneliness. Listen, you can have people all around you and still be lonely. You know, Mother Teresa said that loneliness is the leprosy of our day. Not only is he lonely, he's in a season of struggle. He has absolutely come to the end of himself to the point to where he's ready to give up. He's in this battle. He's thinking, if I just keep striving a little bit harder, ultimately, surely something positive will happen. And then he finally comes to the point where he recognizes, I'm not going to win this one. And not just that, he's dealing with his own physical pain. Verse 26. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Verse 27. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he says, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? Now notice. And he blessed him there. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. And we're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful for the truth of the word of God. We thank you for the transforming power of the word of God. We're thankful for, for you, Holy Spirit. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon us today and do a work within us. Lord, I believe with all of my heart there's people here that are in the same position spiritually that Jacob was in. That their lives have brought them to this point. There's hope in their heart that, that you may do something, but, but yet, Lord, they've not seen it happen just yet. I pray, Lord, that you would just speak directly to us. Let us experience your word, not just hear it, apply it, and let it bring forth fruit a hundredfold in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, 
all these things we've talked about over, the, over this particular month, that these truths are inspiring, they're encouraging. We're, we're thinking, you know what, man, that, that's great. I, I love to hear this. You know, God's speaking to me. I, I believe that God's saying something. But when it comes to the point to where a transaction happens or a change takes place, we just kind of feel like we're coming up short. And so we have our hopes built up. Our spirit is excited. Our mind is thinking, maybe this is the day. And, you know, could this be really true? And, and then all of a sudden, what we expected to happen doesn't happen. And we're thinking, well, this is just like every other Sunday. We come, we get our hopes built up, but, but God seems to always be letting me down. Have you ever responded to what you thought was the voice of God and once you responded and you went up to maybe receive prayer or, or you were expecting a different outcome and, but as a result nothing happened to you and you just kind of walked out of that church service or you walked out of that meeting or you walked out of that prayer time or you walked out of the, that meeting, whatever that may be, only to be worse off than when you come. Listen, I believe there's people here today that you've had your hopes built up, that you've had your expectations lifted, you have had the, the determination that this could be the moment, this could be the time for me, this could be the day when everything changes, but because you've experienced disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, you have settled into a pattern to where you've accepted status quo Christianity. Because you've been disappointed, you've closed your heart to even the possibility that maybe God could do something incredible in your life. You've settled into uh, uh, just going through the motions. You've allowed yourself to just become a, a church attender. You've become nothing more than just somebody that shows up on Sunday morning and then you go home and, and, and you have no passion, you have no drive, you become apathetic. You become indifferent, and, and you're just simply tired of being disappointed in your life. You've closed your heart, and as a result, you have just attempted to try to become a good little churchgoer. And, you know, I want you to know, listen, if you are just a Sunday morning Christian or somebody that is stuck in, in their relationship with God to the point to where you no longer pray and you no longer read your Bible, you no longer come to church with any kind of expectation in your life, I have got some disappointing news for you. You better get used to being miserable because this is as good as it's ever going to get for you. Things don't get better when you stop pursuing God. Things get worse. And God allows them to get worse. And they get worse because we get worse. We ultimately become very cold and we become indifferent. But, you know, we, we hear these things preached and we think, you know what, maybe God can do this for me. And you know what, we, we're looking for change and we hope this happens. And, and you know what, it, it, it sounds really good to, to, to be able to walk in having a new sense of identity, right? But how do you get to this place of identity? How do you come to the place where you feel like you really are a child of God? How do you get to the place where you actually feel secure in the love of God? 
How do you get to the point to where you stop fighting within yourself, fighting God, fighting one another, fighting your husband, fighting your wife, you know, fighting even to just keep your heart open? How do you come to that place where you just simply step into that place of new identity and say, you know what, I'm securing God? You know what? I, I know God loves me. I know God has a plan for me. I know God uh, created me and, and, and fearfully, wonderfully made, uh, and, and that all that stuff's good. How do you get to do that? It, it sounds good to be able to walk in that, right? Sounds really good to have a, a sense of self-worth, to feel like that you're worth something, you know, to feel like we are God's pearl of great price. You know, we, we, we hear that we've read it in the Bible. We, we know it. You know, uh, mentally and intellectually, but, but we don't necessarily feel the value of what the story says uh, is something of value speaking to us. You know, it, it sounds good to be able to uh, uh, have a sense of, of self-security, self-worth, those things, but here's what needs to happen. You've got to change. Well, you know, I'm tired of trying and believing God that, that change is going to happen and then change not necessarily happen. You know, I'm tired of just trying to press in only to be met with disappointment time and time again. You know, listen, you know, the biggest need in all of our lives is the need for change. The biggest room in all of our lives is the room for improvement. All of us could get better. You know that? All of us was intent, all of these, all of us were, were, were meant and intended for something more. You know, but in order to step into that new, whatever that new might be, we have to be willing to change. And the biggest hindrance to change, listen to this, is the way that we expect change to happen, how that change happens, and when that change happens. In other words, we won't change, but we won't change on our terms, right? We don't want it to make us feel uncomfortable. We don't want it to make us feel weird. It doesn't, we don't want it to cause us to have to do something outside of our comfort zone. We don't want to have to wait too long for it. You know, we, we, we like for it just to, to happen. We're kind of like Naaman when he had leprosy. And he said, go down to the prophet Elijah. And Elijah says, we'll go out to the river, uh, Jordan River and, and dip yourself seven times. Well, you know what? That wasn't good enough for Naaman. He said, you know, surely I expected this man to come out and just at least show his face and then wave his hand over me and say a few things. And, and then I'd just be here. Why would he want me to go do this? Well, you know what? That miracle for Naaman didn't happen if he had not been obedient to what the prophet told him to do. You know, the, the, the voice of reason in that story was Naaman's servant. He said, you know what? If Elisha would have asked you to do something great, you'd been glad to do it, wouldn't you? See, that's the way that we are. You know what? Sometimes breakthroughs, miracles, deliverances, uh, answers to prayer are simply and directly connected to a small step or act of obedience to God. Don't allow, you know, the way that you think it should happen to determine whether it can happen. And I'm convinced a lot of people have missed out on what God intended for them because they expected it to happen a certain way. God oftentimes sends us what we need in packages we don't like. Okay? Let me say that again. God oftentimes sends us what we need in packages we don't like. So the greatest hindrance to change, I believe, is the fact that we want it to happen. See, when we look at change... We focus on the externals. 
why God focuses on the internals, okay? True and permanent change happens on the inside of us. You know, we, we focus on uh, behavior modifications. God focuses on attitude adjustments. Look at your neighbor and say, you need attitude adjustments. Some of you husbands have been wanting to say that to your wife for so long. You're, you're welcome. But you know what? We're looking for something to happen outwardly. God is waiting for something to happen inwardly, okay? We think change should happen like a sprint. God says, no, it's more like a marathon. You know, we're waiting to arrive at a certain destination. God said, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey that I've got you on. You know, we're, we're looking for things to happen quickly, uh, we were looking for things to happen in a way that, that makes us feel uh, uh, comfortable. We're looking for things to happen according to our own personal preference. But God says, that's just not the way that I operate. That's not the way that, that change happens in our lives. And so what happens is, oftentimes we overestimate events and we underestimate the value of the process God takes us through to bring us to that place of change. Because listen, if there's one thing that's here to stay, that is change. Change is here to stay. And you know what? We like the idea of being changed. We hate the process we have to go through in order to change. Losing weight is a wonderful thing. You know, it's a great idea for me. I'm thinking I'd like to lose more weight. I'd like to be healthy. But the idea of getting on a treadmill, you know, I don't really care for that too much, you know. The idea of having to eat healthy, you know, I'm thinking nothing that, that, that is healthy tastes good, right? That's true. Listen, it's, that, that is true. I don't care. Listen, it, it's okay when you're in the process of, of doing it. We like the idea of change. We just hate the process of being changed. But the thing is, we don't value the process. And in order for us to change... We have to be the change that we want to see, okay? So here's, some, here's four steps that, that we want to cover really quickly here. Here's what happens. God took Jacob through four stages. And again, we're talking about deep, permanent, personal change. And these are the stages that he took Jacob through. Number one, the first stage is what I call the crisis stage. Verse 24 and 25 says, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled or struggled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint, and he wrestled with him. Now, in this particular time in Jacob's life, I already kind of referenced that before I got started, that, that the Bible says that Jacob was alone, the Bible said that Jacob was actually in pain. Not only was he alone and not only was he in pain, he was in the greatest struggle of his life. Now, how many know that if you get into a fight with God, the outcome's not going to be good? Right? You're not going to win that. You know, you're not going to win when it comes to fighting with God. And God doesn't want us to struggle with him. God wants us to snuggle with him. But, but, but Jacob, he'd come to that point to where he was like this. 
I am not going to get out of this one, you know. Because <laughs> that's the way he done it, you know. His whole life, he worked very hard to make things happen. You know what? He was going to take control of his own life, and he was going to do something about the situation, even if it had to result into being manipulative and deceptive and telling lies. You know, he was going to take the bull by the horns and say, you know what? I am the master of my own fate. And you know what? God allowed him to do that. So Jacob, but all that striving brought him to that place to where he was alone and in pain and was struggling. Now here's the point I want to make here. Listen to this. God will sometimes allow us to go through a season of loneliness and pain and intense struggle in order to bring us to the place of change and transformation. As a matter of fact, pain can become God's gift to you. Okay? Crisis occurs in our life because oftentimes it takes a crisis for God to get our attention. Are you with me on that? We're so hard-headed, we're so stubborn, we're so full of ourselves that God has to let things fall completely apart until we reach a breaking point. The problem is this. Some people's breaking point is death. Some people are so bent and so twisted and so committed to doing things their way that they will do it come hell or high water and they'll do it even if it kills them. You know what, some of you, you may not be dying a physical death, but the very things that you are doing right now in your life are killing you. You're frustrated and you're angry and you're upset and you're depressed and, and you know what, you, you're ready to just throw in the towel and quit and say, forget it. But you know what, you're not willing to surrender it to God and say, God, here I am. I've done it my way. We're just going to continue to do it this way. Now, Jacob was in a place in his life where everything felt like a constant struggle. Do you know what it's like to be and walk through a season in your life where life, everything in life just seems like to be a constant struggle? That nothing seems to come easy. Nothing, you know, everything's a battle. Everything's dramatic. You I mean, you can't even have a conversation with somebody without just getting ripped out of the frame and tore out of pieces. And you know what? You're just, you know, you're, you're a train wreck looking for a place to happen. Jacob was there. You know, Jacob felt like that, you know what? I have struggled with this for so long, I'm going to give up and I'm going to surrender to this struggle rather than surrender to God. Now, the problem is this. When you surrender to your struggle, instead of surrendering to God, you take on the identity of your struggle. That's good right there. And when you surrender yourself to the struggle, you take on the, the, the identity of your struggle, then you begin to label yourself as the very thing you struggle with. Paused for an amen and didn't come, but that's good preaching, Donald. That's good right there. 
But we're so tired of being frustrated and discouraged and we're weary. We feel like giving up. But here's some good news for you. I want to encourage you. If you are at a place in your life right now that you are so overwhelmed with the constant struggle that you were going through, if you were at a breaking point, if you are at the place where you are at rock bottom, the good news is this. You are in the right place at the right time because God is getting ready to change you. It takes getting there. You know, it takes you coming to the end of yourself before God can even begin to take over in your life. So God allows us to go through this season in order to bring us to a place of change. Now, I want you to write this down. This is good right here, okay? We will never change. We will never change until the pain we feel is greater than the change we fear. We will never change until the pain we feel is greater than the change we fear. Some of us are afraid to even respond to an outer call. We're scared to even go up front and let God minister to us. We're, we're, we're even afraid to admit that we struggle. We, we don't even want to acknowledge that we are so overwhelmed we want to put on our Sunday morning best and put on our face because, again, remember, we're talking about soul prints and, and we try to put on this mask and, and, and create an appearance. We are so much more concerned about how we appear to be than what we really are like on the inside. We ain't ready to change. We are never going to change until your pain gets so great that it's greater than the change you fear. You want something changed in your life, you're just not hurting enough in order to cooperate with it. You know, when a woman gives birth to a child, she goes into labor, it's the greatest, most intense pain she's ever experienced in her life. And not only is the pain great, what's worse than the pain is the fact that she has to cooperate with her pain or she risks aborting the child and even her own life. She has to cooperate with the pain because that's how birth is given. New life comes when we embrace and cooperate with the pain of change. And the closer it, gets, it comes for, for that baby to be born, the more intense and the more frequent that pain gets. But if you don't cooperate with it, the outcome is completely different. It puts her life and the child's life in danger. The same is true spiritually for us. If we don't cooperate with it, then we risk aborting the very thing that God wanted to produce out of it. Here's the second stage. Second stage is the committed stage. The second stage is the committed stage. God will allow crisis to happen in order to get our attention. Now, this is the thing that I love so much. Not really. But I found this to be true. You might, you might disagree. But, but once God gets our attention, He doesn't always solve my problem immediately. 
I mean, you, have you ever got that where you're thinking, you got my attention, God. And you're like, yeah, I, yeah, uh-huh. Yes, sir, I'm, I'm here. And then he doesn't really change anything. Have you ever been there? You're thinking, all right, I, I, I'm ready. You got my attention. I'm listening loud and clear, but, but God doesn't change anything. He doesn't solve my problem. He waits. Now, why does God wait? You know the reason God waits? Because he wants to take time enough to see whether you're serious about change or not. It's like when somebody uh, comes to give their life to the Lord. There's a difference between praying a prayer like this, Lord, if you'll get me out of this trouble, I'll serve you, versus saying, God, change me. I can't change myself. The motive in which you respond to God determines the outcome of the situation. A lot of people, you've prayed those kinds of prayers, God, if you just work this out. God, if you'll, just, if you'll just do this for me. God, if you'll just take some of this pressure off, I'll change. And the truth is, you know what? God knows how we're going to respond in the first place. He just wants to know that you know how you're going to respond. Because, listen, self-deception is ultimate deception. Jacob was a deceiver, but listen, if you lie long enough, you're going to have to have a good memory. And lying to yourself is still lying, Okay? And so God wants to see how committed we are to embracing the change and the process of change that, that needs to happen. So, you know, we're, we're here, and he's, he's testing our commitment. Listen to this. Why does God test our commitment? And why do we need to be committed? Because we ultimately become what we're committed to. We ultimately become what we're committed to. People who lack character run from commitment. And so God waits to solve our problems because he's more interested in changing our character than he is changing our circumstance. We just want the circumstance change. And God said, "Uh uh-uh. That's not what this is about. You know, when things happen or we get treated bad or, 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 or we get disappointed or you know maybe somebody in the church offends us or makes us mad, instead of just embracing that for what it is, We have to get ticked off. We have to get offended. We have to jump up and go out and run our mouth and run somebody down and and allow that offense to make us bitter instead of making us better. You know, the difference between somebody that's bitter and somebody that's better is the letter I. You determine the outcome. And and, And so God tests our commitment. And any commitment that's not been tested cannot be trusted. And any commitment that you take, it's going to be tested, believe me. Just because you get saved doesn't mean it becomes easy. Amen? All right. I'm about to move on. Look at verse 26. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So what's Jacob saying to God? Jacob is saying, I'm committed to this struggle until my struggle becomes my strength. And you know what? That's what ministry is all about. I found out in about 20 years of ministry, people can't relate to my strength, but they can my struggle. Problem is, we all have struggles, but nobody wants to talk about them. We want to appear as if we have no problems. 
Let me tell you something. If you've never had any problems, you can't help me. If you've got, I was talking to our small group the other day. I said, you know what? Because everybody in church appeared to have everything together, I just about quit church. I'm being serious. Because I got saved and I had nothing together. I got saved, it took me a year to quit cussing. I relapsed four times. I was ungodly and immoral. I loved Jesus, but I was a mess. Everybody else looked like they had it all together. I'm thinking, I don't belong here. Jacob did that for 20 years. I wonder how long he'll continue to do it. He kept doing that. Listen, God is wanting to bring all of us to a place and and for us to become a church so that when people come through the doors of this building that their lives are broken and they're at rock bottom, they can simply say, I belong here. Jesus said it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. But again, we don't like... To admit that we have these struggles. But Jacob said, you know what, I'm going I'm to hold on. And I'm going to stay committed to this struggle until the struggle becomes my strength. Now, I want to say this. Your commitments will either develop you or destroy you. But regardless, they will ultimately define you. Why? Because you become what you are committed to. Here's the third thing. Again, do you see the stage that he's going through? Jacob first comes to a place where he is at the end of his rope. And he comes to the place where he realizes, I'm not going to win this. But he also says, I didn't go through all of this mess to give up and quit now. I'm holding on until I benefit from the pain that I've been through. And God's a redeemer. I mean, he, that's what I love about Jesus. He's such a redeemer that he'll take all the bad in your life and he'll turn it around and use it for good. That's what Joseph said. Joseph said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. He said, his brothers are the ones that forsook him, right? His brothers are the ones that threw him in the pit, right? His brothers were the ones that sold him into slavery, Right? But when he went from being a prisoner to the prime minister of the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, and then all of a sudden his brothers come back to him, he recognized, they didn't send me here, God did. And you know what's incredible about that story? Not one time do you hear Joseph talking bad about his brothers. Not one time do you see Joseph being angry because of his brothers. But what we do see is Joseph cried over his brothers. But could you imagine if Joseph hadn't done or dealt with all of that internal struggle of of betrayal being lied on. You know, he was sold into slavery. He was placed in Potiphar's house. His wife falsely accused him of raping her, attempting to rape her. And, and, and he was thrown into jail. 
And he was in prison. He was forgotten about in prison. Imagine if he did not process all the pain that he went through and allow that pain to develop him into the man of God that God was wanting to bring him into or become. Imagine what kind of ruler he would have ended up being. I sure wouldn't want to appear before Joseph if I was one of his brothers. But yet, you know what? Some of you are the same way. You've been church hurt. You've been disappointed. People get up and they leave because somebody in church made them mad. And the truth is, people are not your enemy. When brothers fight brothers, only the devil wins. The God in me won't fight the God in you. So allow that stuff to develop you, not destroy you. Now, the third stage is the confession stage. This is probably the hardest stage of all. Because once God brings us to the crisis or allows us to come to that place of crisis, and once our commitment is made and tested, he brings us to the place of confession. Now, again, this stage is necessary for change to happen. Because you can go through and make up your mind, I'm going to stay committed until God produces something good out of this. But when you get to this stage, you've got to get real, and you've got to get honest, and you've got to be transparent before God, and you even actually have to open up your mouth and say something. In other words, you just can't sit there in your seat going, he's right, he's right, he's right. Talking to yourself going, Oh my God, God is seeking me right now. <sighs> I'm dying on the inside. I'm dying. But I'm going to smile. So amen. You know how to do that, don't you? Probably nobody goes to this church, somebody else's church, right? They're probably going to church down the road. Those are the people that, you know, do that stuff, not, not us. But, but you got to get honest. And that's hard. You've got to get honest with God. You've got to get honest with yourself. That's why verse 27 says, it says this. It's kind of almost like it's out of order. God says to him, what's your name? And he says, Jacob. Now, why did God ask him his name? Listen to me. Because he wanted Jacob to confess something. God knew his name, right? God had let him go through the crisis had let him determine his commitment, tested his commitment. Now he said, all right, I'm bringing you to the place of self-realization. Who are you? Who are you? He says, Jacob. But Jacob means so much more than Jacob. You understand what I'm saying? Jacob represents all of his past. It was, it was an act of self-revelation and confession. Now, why is this necessary? Write this down. Because transparency always precedes transformation. Transparency always precedes transformation. You are never going to change if you're not willing to get real. I can't stand being around fake people. I'm just being honest with you. I don't like people that are always negative. I love them, but I don't like them. And I don't like fake. It's like Clay said, I just want what's real. I mean, why can't we just be a church family that loves each other in spite 
of what we are and in our humanity and say, you know what? I'm committed to you. I'm going to love you. I'm not going to take what you say or do personally that I can come to you and say I'm struggling with something and then you're not judging me. We got to get to that place. Listen, when me and Rachel first got married, she thought I was all that in a bag of chips. I mean, she did. I can't blame her, but... After we've been married for about 18 years, I found out that, you know, she's not, you know, she doesn't love me because of me. She loves me in spite of me. She realized pretty quickly, this guy ain't what I thought he was. Right? And so, being honest and transparent, and I'm not saying that that means that you get in front of everybody and you just tell everybody your business. But you better tell God. You better be able to tell yourself, and you better have somebody in your life that you can talk to. The reason so many of us walk in defeat is because we fight alone. We're not going to tell anybody. So this is what happened. He's asking him, he says, you know what? What's your name? Now, in biblical times, I'm going to close them with this. In biblical times, often a person's name was a description of their character, okay? You know, Jacob's name actually meant deceiver, supplanter. So that was also the, the kind of character and nature that he had. He was a deceiver. He was a liar. He deceived his father. He deceived his brother. He, 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 he deceived everybody. He, his relationships, you know, he, he was, this is who he was, Okay? And his name defined him. Now, I wonder, let me just ask this question. If you were named for your greatest character flaw or weakness, I wonder what your name would be. Well, my name would be rejection. Or my name would be failure. Or my name would be bitter. Or my name would be anger. Or, or my, my name would be shame. Or my name would be guilt. You know, he, he, here's how you can tell whether you've allowed your character flaw or your weakness. I mentioned it a while ago. To become part of your identity. That's what you think of when you think of yourself. When you hear words from God talking to you. Saying that you have worth and you have value and, and you have the, and, you, and, 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 this, and God loves you, but yet you still think this is too good to be true because you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done this week. You don't know, you know how, how many times I've failed and I blew it. When you choose to focus on the negative than the positive, when you choose to allow your failures to become your identity, that's when you know that you've accepted and embraced this as your identity. Go ahead and come to music. But the truth is this. God will never change my struggle until I admit I have one. Boy, it's deep, ain't it? God will never change my struggle until I admit that I have one. Well, who do I admit it to, Donald? Well, first to yourself. Just admit it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm struggling right now. Well, okay. 
Welcome to the human race. That's the way that it is. Then admit it to God. Then admit it to at least one person that you know loves you. Because when you're ready to change, you can't fake it. You have to face it. Okay? Faking it won't produce change. Facing it will at least bring you to the place of change. Admitting that you have a struggle is important because it's an act of humility. And the Bible says God gives grace to the... And you know what? You need grace to change. You have to have grace to change. How do you, how do you be humble? Admit you got a problem. Admit you, you, you got help. You need help. Admit you got, you're struggling. Just, just admit it. Grace is the power to change. Because if you want to change, you can't change until you get grace. And if you want grace, you got to be humble. And to be humble, you've got to acknowledge and admit that you're struggling, that you're in pain. You know, I've, I've found this out. The healthiest people that I, that I know are people who are okay with not being okay and letting somebody else know about it. The people that walk around with so much stress and tension that, you know, that are just ready to snap and blow up and go off and just looking for something. Listen, you know, they're sick bad they're sick you know we get bent out of shape you know what over the least smallest thing we'll go off on the very people that we love because we've had a bad day and it's not so much that we've had a bad day that we have let these things accumulate in our life day after day after day after day without ever even acknowledging that you're under this pressure or you're struggling with it to the point to where when somebody else is human or has a moment of humanness you snap and go off and bite their head off And the weight of that crushes you to the point that you become self-destructive and a force of destruction with everybody that loves you. Imagine that being the legacy that you leave your children. Imagine your children not even being able to see you happy or smile or have joy or have peace. Imagine that. I think about that all the time. Stand with me. I'll just give you this for the answer to that blank. The fourth stage is the cooperation stage. The cooperation stage is pretty self-evident. So let me ask you this question. What stage are you in? Where are you at in the process of change? greatest lesson we can learn from this is not the four stages. The greatest lesson that 
we can learn from this is that Jacob changed. Jacob changed. And if Jacob can change, then you can change. And I and, and how how did Jacob change? Yeah, God brought him through those stages. But I think Romans chapter 9 verse 13 tells us the real reason Jacob changed. Listen to this. Listen to what it says. You know what it says? It says, God loved Jacob. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful thing? God loved Jacob. Sound like a big deal. Yeah, but you don't understand all of the mess. With all of his mistakes and all of his failures and all of his deception and all of his manipulation and all of his strained relationships and all of the damage and all of the pain and all of the struggle and all the frustration and all of this mess he was in, God still loved Jacob. And if God loved Jacob in his mess, I think I can stand here and say on behalf of God that He loves you too. And you don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to let fear control you. You don't have to worry about what other people think. You don't have to worry about holding on to this image of being somebody you're not. You don't have to to hold on to... To, to pretending that you, you have it all together. God loves you. And, you know, he wants you to come. And he's just saying, you know what? I, I just want to hear you say it. I just want you to let me know that you know that I know you're not okay. I just, you, you need to hear your own voice. You need to get honest with yourself. You need to get honest with me. And say, you know what? I'm not okay. I am not okay. But he loves me anyways. The Bible says that anyone that is afraid has not been made perfect in love. Because fear involves torment. And the more fear that's in your life, the greater the pressure of your struggle will become. You know... They were singing about the reckless love of God a while ago. That, you know what, in spite of everything, whatever He has to do, He's coming after you. And He's coming after you today. And He's coming after you right where you're at, in the middle of your struggle, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your loneliness. And He's saying, just tell me. Just tell me. As they sing, and as they, as they play, there's an opportunity for you to come and just get on it. Because here's the truth. Even if nobody comes, it, it doesn't really matter to me because I know people are just people. I'm just kind of wondering how many people God's speaking to and are ready to let some things go in their life. If you need to do business with God, if you're lost, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all you need to do is say, you know what? I know that I'm lost. I know if I die today that I would go to hell and not go to heaven. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, for my sins. He was buried, 
raised from the dead on the third day. It doesn't take big words and fancy prayers. It just takes honesty, humility, and responding to what He's saying. If you're, if you're heavy in your heart, if you've got a burden you're carrying, Jesus said, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. If you need peace of mind, if you just need refreshed and renewed, if you just need some weight take off, taken off of you as they sing and as they play, I want you to get out of your seat. Let God minister to you.